I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to another episode of My Big Break, the podcast series from Motorsport that tries to identify key forks in the road for drivers and major figures in racing that could have seen their careers take a different course. Chris Medland here with you once again, and this week I'm joined by Valtteri Bottas to discuss humble karting beginnings in Finland to how much he invested in trying to secure the Mercedes seat when it became available. Valtteri is also amazingly open and honest when he discusses a dark time in his life that saw him end one F1 season with no intention of returning the next year and recalls the moment he got the desire back to keep going. Valtteri, thank you very much for joining us here on My Big Break, the podcast that's looking at the moments that have had a major impact in your career one way or another. Uh, It could be that it it took it in one direction, it could have been that it didn't take it in another direction. Uh, And is it right then that you found out first about racing at all in a supermarket? Uh. On on the way to the supermarket, okay. I saw I saw a sign. There was um, a sign that there was a go kart race. It was a Finnish championship event in in Lahti, Finland. And yeah, luckily that day, me and my dad we had some spare time. We were just going to the shops, but then decided to make a turn, go and see the race. And I'm glad glad we did. So had you never seen racing before that? Not really. I mean, obviously maybe from from TV like F1 and stuff, but. I didn't even know what go-karting meant, so I was quite curious. But obviously, yeah, Finnish championship race is pretty competitive, and I was so impressed as a, as a kid. Like It looked so cool, almost like unreal, how quickly the cars would go through the corners, you know, the way the drivers were making the passes and everything. And yeah, apparently, that's the first day in my life that I was sitting three hours still just watching something. Wow. So, yeah, it really, really got me. So then, did your dad know he was in trouble and that you wanted to get I in a go kart? Yeah, he he told me. Yeah, he never never saw me like that. So I think he he knew that um, it could be something. But then the next step was obviously obviously to try and got to try a go kart. And how did that go? Was that were you hooked straight away, or was it kind of a bit of a strange experience? Because when we've done some of these interviews with some drivers, not everyone took to go karting straight away. Either they weren't particularly competitive, or they just weren't doing it that often. How was it for you? So we went. Went back next day um, because the local club they had some carts that you could you know try for like ten minutes, mm-hmm. but all the carts they were too big. I couldn't reach the pedals of any of them, even with like foam on my back and everything. So it was one of the most disappointing days of my life. Aww. So uh, and it was like autumn time. Mm-hmm. So basically, they said come back next spring, you know, when the winter is over. And I was like, oh, that's not possible. <laughs> so, yeah, then my granddad told me to eat porridge every morning. So uh, maybe then I grow enough, yeah. get some height. And it happened. I was eating porridge every single morning and went back in the spring when the snow was gone. And I could magically, you know, fit into the cart and reach the pedals. I remember my first lap in, in this track, like with that cart, you could do the first four corners. You could do flat out. 
but then there was like a hairpin and I didn't know that you need to break. I just kept it, <laughs> kept it floored <laughs> and I went straight into the barriers. And I remember like within like two seconds, my dad was there. Like he had run across the track and checked that everything is fine. And he was like, okay, sh- we should go home or something. But I was like, no, no, it's fine. Uh, now I know that I, in this corner I need, need to break. <laughs> and uh, so yeah, I continued driving. Next time I braked in a few, few spots, but yeah, it started with full gas and with a big shunt, but <laughs> yeah. Um, but the rest of the day went went good. Well, you've got to find the limit, haven't you? So <laughs> Exactly, yeah. Um, but for you then, was that all about your attraction then to karting? Or had you been kind of, I guess, attracted by someone like Mika Hakkinen in Formula 1 having a role model that was interesting as a, a young Finnish lad? Or, or was that later that that sort of thing kind of got to you? It, it came slightly later. Like, immediately, f- I just found the driving so cool. Uh, something different that, that I never really really felt before so yeah uh, i was really interested about how to improve improve the lap time you know how to change how, how can you basically become faster by changing your driving style or or setting up the car or something so that was kind of my interest in the beginning and then it was the competition as well eventually when i got to the local club races i really enjoyed it um but then i would say once like in 97, when Mika won his first race at the last event of the of the season, then I was like, wow, this guy is amazing. Like, he had a pretty rough career, you know, the accident in 95, came back, um, became a winner. And I knew at that moment that, okay, this guy's going to win the title next year. And it happened for the two years in a row. And he was like a hero for me, absolutely. And big motivation when I was doing go-karts. I was going to say, how seriously were you taking karting when you first did it? Was it just a hobby and a bit of fun or or because you then had that kind of idol that showed you you could maybe reach this level? Did it already look like something that was the start of a potential racing career? So my first season in go-karts, the first races I did was in 96. Um, so I would say the first year and second year was all just for fun. Did, yeah, some club racing, but then it got naturally more and more serious as the competition got got tougher and then I also realized quite quickly that it is something that I want to want to aim for is is F1 and yeah then step by step it became more serious but it was always fun you know that was my my parents always kept asking like are you enjoying it are you having fun and now I know the reason why because you know that's the main thing in, in life two things that you enjoy and especially as a kid not to be forced to do anything so they were always like checking in that um, it's something that I really enjoy because obviously <laughs> they had to pay for the new tires and <laughs> everything as well. So, and, and I guess those costs go up pretty quickly, even in karting. Like, at, at which stage was it, I guess, difficult to keep going? Or was it ever difficult? Were you already standing out and people were wanting to get behind you? It was always difficult. I would say initially, yeah, first couple of years was just using like a used go-kart. You know, you, all you needed was sometimes new tires, change you know, uh, the chain or something, <laughs> uh, That that's about it. So it was quite low budget. and But immediately, I think already in my, like, first or second year, even in club racing, there was, like, s- small companies in, in my hometown area, Nastola and Lahti, that started helping with, with just maybe, like, at that time it was, like, a few hundred Finnish marks, which is, like, I don't know, 100 euros or something. Mm-hmm. So we could get, you know, tires or something. And, yeah, I would put the sticker of the company in the, <laughs> in the side pot or something. Um, but then as I went up the categories, then, yeah, really 
managed to get some long-term partners and actually one of them um, stayed with me, no, two of them stayed with me all the way up, up until I became um, a driver at Williams so, and from a small town. So uh, wow. really long-term partnerships that definitely allowed me to, you know, um, proceed in, in my career and and so on. So started with, yeah, new ties for the go-kart, ended up being F1. I mean, <laughs> d- were they big companies then or did they become big companies? Like, how yeah, so I had, I had so, ma- so many like local partners because it's a small town where I come from and obviously people heard that I'm doing go-karting and I started to, you know, win races in Finland. So they wanted to support and be part of it. But then, yeah, there was a couple of big companies. One is called Wihuri mm-hmm. um, and one is called Kempi. Uh, they do weld- welding machines. Um, so they became like, yeah, proper long-term partners, but... Obviously, they were not like throwing in the cash, so we always had to go and back and, okay, next year we would like to do this, and could you at least be, you know, part of it by twenty percent or something? And yeah, um, step by step, it, it, it was pretty pretty long journey. Do you think actually then coming from a small town maybe helped because people knew who you were and and wanted to support you, whereas if I guess you'd come from a bigger city, maybe you wouldn't have had that same kind of. Um, attraction from companies to, to get behind you? I think for me, yeah, I think it was the right place to, to grow up and, and start my career. I think for me it worked well. And obviously, yeah, you do need to be at the right place at the right time. But also with my dad, we were doing lots of work behind the scenes to try and find the budget for even for a go, go-kart season. So, um, yeah, it was literally going from door to door of companies or factories and asking for help. Many times the answer would be no, but sometimes somebody would say yes. Yeah, well, it's a good job they said yes, looking <laughs> yeah. at where you've got to now. But um, I was looking at your kind of racing resume and, and the way that karting got very serious and, and onto kind of the international level and eighth in the World Championships in 05. Uh, I've got you down to DNF in 06, but then you won the WSK International Series that year. Was that a kind of tipping point for you? Was it? can I make the step up to cars? Will this continue? Or did you already have another career path in mind if you couldn't continue racing? Um, yeah, I would say that 2006, which was my last season in, in go-karting, that was like, yeah, really important one. So I won a few times the Finnish championship, which is already a good level, but then actually getting a bit more success like in Europe, the WSK, and some other single races um, was was really, really important. And then... I would say the the plan was to try and you know hopefully make it to Formula Renault or something like this in 2007 or 2008. That was the original plan that we made like a few years back. Um, and then a test appeared um, in in Finland with with the team Koiranen Brothers uh, in Formula Renault. It was um, the yeah Renault 2.0, and yeah uh, actually pretty well managed to immediately like get to feel the car, which is quite a big change from go-karts to junior formula, like, and the driving style is different. And yeah, the lap times were pretty good. And yeah, then we started working on what, what should be the best plan and ended up doing the Formula Renault Northern European Cup with, with Koiranen with pretty low budget, and they really helped us a lot. Like, yeah, normally you should pay quite a bit more for like season like that, but we minimized the testing, and it was clear that um, there wasn't much extra budget for spare parts in case of crashes. <laughs> so <laughs> luckily, I don't think I really had any any crashes. Um, 
so yeah, I mean, that season, 07, I think, I can't remember, was I third or second in the series? Or the third? I have got you down as third. Yeah. Yeah. But I think I won the last race. And there was this team, Motorpark, dominating that championship. And I think they were just doing something better with the car or setup or something. But it was good because after that season, um, finally, I got some offers from different management teams, management companies. Um, and that allowed us to proceed further. And the next season then, with increased budget, thanks to the managers, um, was in Formula Renault Euro Cup and Northern European Cup with Motorpark, who was at that time the best team. Mm. But so does that mean, do you think, without Koivinen's, I guess, help in, in finding a way of you being able to afford to drive on those cars, you'd have gone no further? Would it have stopped there? Or, or was there going to be a way, do you think, for you to still keep racing? I think there would have been a way. Like One idea was to do try and do something... If we could have not done that, maybe something in in the um, in the UK because all the former Renault was pretty popular at that, that time in the UK, but would have been not the whole season. You know, would have been just some en- entries, or I think Plan B would have been you know being Renault one point six or Formula Ford or doing something at least in single seaters. But I'm glad it went how how it went because it ended up um, good career path for me. Yeah, and and you mentioned like go to Motorpark and, and how well that worked out. Winning both, I got you down for the, the Northern European Cup and the Euro Cup in 08. Was that like a major moment for you saying, look, I've, I've made the transition from go-karts to cars and I'm, I'm, a, I'm a winner. Did, did that really feel like the moment where you went, I'm one of the young talents that people should be looking out for? Uh, absolutely. I think that made me realise that, okay, there's real potential now to do, achieve anything you know, if things go well. And I also realised now it was up to me because I got to the point in 2008 and yeah, after that season that it is going to be up to me. I have a good uh, management team behind me. I have good support from, you know, um, from the local companies that from a long, long time ago. So if I perform, anything is possible. Is that the point that Formula One interest started as well? Is it that early or was it a bit later? Because it was, I think, 2010 that you joined Williams. Mm. Um, 2009, you were third in the F3 Euro Series and won the Masters of F3 and you were fifth in Macau. You had a really good year, but... Was there interest even before you did all that from Formula One teams? I would say I'm not sure. Uh, maybe my manage- management team could have always tried to do something, but they never told me because <laughs> they, you know, when you're up, young coming kid, you know, you don't want to start thinking too much about F1. You know, you need to focus on the season. So, um, uh, first time I heard and well realized there was interest was 2009 when I visited Williams. Um, at the simulator, met Frank um, because they were looking for a new, new test driver uh, or development driver for the 2010 onwards. And there was quite a few drivers that went there. Like some were the same day, some were the next day. I heard there was um, Gutierrez and Yul Bianchi was there. And yeah, there was many, many, many drivers, but they chose me. Uh, and that was pretty cool. And obviously, yeah doing F3 and then becoming part of an F1 team in, in a way for the development program and actually doing a bit of testing on straight line error testing and stuff like that was was so cool. Don't take this the wrong way, but do you know why they chose you over those other drivers? Did they ever explain what it was that made you the right fit? Um, I think there's a, a this combination of things. I think in the end it felt like it was Frank's decision. He was still very much in, in charge at that point. Um, I don't know. I think he liked me. <laughs> no, I think he likes Finns. Yeah. Um, 
yeah. And obviously in the simulator, you know, you can't say that much, you know, who's going to be the, the best driver. But yeah, apparently responded well to all the tests they did and stuff like that. So I think overall they thought I might have potential. At that stage, were you, was this just normal to you or was it, did it feel like overwhelming to have gone from starting karting from your little town to suddenly being trialing out for Formula One team? No, it didn't feel normal. <laughs> you know, it's for sure because then immediately I moved to UK from, from Finland. Um, I moved, lived in Oxford then four years and yeah, it was like I was doing F3 2010, um, GP3 2011. Between every race, I was always at the factory and, and yeah, basically, yeah, trying to learn as much as I, I could. So, um, yeah, 010, I would say, was the year that it felt like it was unreal. But then, obviously, yeah, as you also have your career still uh, to, to push ahead, you're, then you're just focused and you're working hard, and then you kind of get used, used to the situation in a way that, okay, nothing is done yet if you want to drive. F1 is still. That's the harder step to get to, so um, had to had to keep pushing. Well, speaking of, I mean, 2010 was kind of similar to 2009 in terms of results. I think you're third in Macau as, as an improvement there, but did that put the pressure on you in 2011 to go and win GP3? Because by then people knew who you were because of the Williams link. Yeah, absolutely. I knew that knew that uh, 2011 was going to be the uh, most deciding year probably for for my career until that point because. You know, if you if you go to you know GP three, realistically, you need to win the title in the first year if you really wanna wanna proceed. Not non as a non paid driver, let's say. So um, yeah, that was make or break. It was almost break because <laughs> you know the first half of the year was pretty pretty tough. Um, but then we, I was actually with Fred Fred's team, mm-hmm. and uh, then we found out like that some teams were doing something completely different with the setup. The philosophy was like vice versa, how, how the car was mechanically. So we turned things around half, like mid-season, and yeah, tried lots of different setups and found the one that, that particularly for that GP3 car really worked well. And then the results started to come. So then I think from the last half of the of the year, I think I won at least a race every every weekend and ended up winning the, winning the series and yeah, I knew that if I win the series, um, I had heard that I could have maybe potential to do some Fridays with Williams um, in 2012, and that happened. And actually ended up doing, I think, 15. Yeah, you would pretty much every FP1 week. one yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it was, yeah, that was cool. So I yeah, obviously traveled to every race and tried to learn as much as I could and had, yeah, 15 times in the car to prove myself, you know. And so FP... One, w- for me, was always like a quali. You know, I was like, I just wanted to get the lap time on the board. And that, that was all that mattered to me. And yeah, it, it obviously in the end worked. Um, I managed to be pretty quick at times. And the team saw, okay, this is the next young guy we're going to take. And this, this is the future. And um, that's what happened in 2013. Yeah, I, I remember 2012 well, because that was the first year I was regularly going to races for work as well. And you were someone that was always doing a media session on a Friday because you'd been in the car and the team were keen clearly to use you. Um, did it always feel, because from the outside, it then looked like it was inevitable that you were going to get an F1 seat, that this was preparation for the race seat in 2013. Did it feel that way for you as well? Or did you ever doubt that that would happen? Uh, it felt to me that way 
yes, that it was preparation, but I still had to perform. Like in sessions, you know, if I would have been every session half to one second slower than the than the race drivers, obviously the team would start to think twice that, okay, is, is this guy really as fast as we think he is? So obviously I had to be quick and I had to show that I'm learning all the time and, and be part of everything. And yeah, that, that was the... Di- dedication for the whole year is to learn as much as I could and prove my speed as I could and then I know it is possible but it only becomes reality when you sign the contract and um, realize it so yeah I mean your timing was pretty good as well I mean 13 wasn't a fun season I don't think for anyone but then 14 and how competitive Williams became I mean you had a number of podiums rarely had the card to fight for wins though so if I then fast forward it to when Nico Rosberg suddenly retires, if you're honest, were you like, that seat's mine, I can get that seat? Or did you think other people would be ahead of you in the in the pecking order? Um, my first thing in mind that I won that seat, like that, <laughs> which I'm sure it was for many others. Yeah. But I I felt that it there could be a possibility. There was just a small thing that I had a contract with Williams mm-hmm. <laughs> for the year after. So that wasn't easy. You know, it didn't, yeah, it wasn't nice discussion and argument from my side that basically I want to break the contract and try and go el- elsewhere. So yeah, it was it really required a bit of a push from from my side and might have even put some my hand into my pocket, <laughs> you know. So but made it happen. So I managed to agree with Williams that okay, if Mercedes is going to choose me, they're going to let me go. And um, yeah, then eventually it was only, I think it was already like January, like early January that the final confirmation came from Mercedes that it's going to be me. Yeah, I knew that it's uh, it's going to be a great opportunity for me. So you had to spend some of your own money to get out of that contract? In some way? Maybe, maybe. Might wow. have done. Wow. Well, I mean, you can understand why you'd want to, <laughs> but I mean, you had, didn't realize it cost you money. Yeah. But I guess part of that would have come with your relationship with Toto as well, that would, that was quite strong. How do you view his kind of influence on your career? He's had big influence on my career, no doubt. Like, um, you know, he, he was the, one of the first guys who reached out to me in 2007. Um, and yeah, in the end, the management team that I had early on in my career from 2007 was Mika Hakkinen, Didier Coton and, and Toto as a group so pretty pretty strong group with lot of, lots of knowledge and good good backing and yeah with, with Toto's support always like you know no doubt it made a big big difference to to my career and yeah obviously he was involved at Williams and then he became involved at Mercedes and then it was kind of weird to try and discuss the contract with him because before that he was a manager but now obviously it was like we were on the other sides of the table mm. um but yeah, he's he can be tough, but he was always so supportive. Like and and I think he's one of the key persons for sure. You know why I'm here uh, at the moment, um, driving still. In, of those three guys that made up your management team, is that are you able to kind of split who did what? Was there a a, a person that at a certain time opened the right door or, or made something happen, or were they all kind of doing things together? I think they were doing things together. You know, for for sure, Toto's involvement, like personally with with the teams that I. I was driving for for sure that it made a difference and you know he was within the team so for sure he could you know talk to the management and and so on so 
for sure that made a huge difference. But also Mika's role was um, also trying to open doors because, you know, everyone still appreciates Mika a lot. And if he says something, people listen. And Didi's experience in, in Formula 1 management, how things work, contracts, everything, it was also a useful asset. So really dynam- dynamic team, I would say. And then, like I said earlier, it was only up to me to perform. I mean, yeah, I mean, they were a great trio to kind of help you progress to where you did as well. But then you end up paired in 2017 with Lewis Hamilton, who's clearly wounded anyway in the sense of Nico Rosberg's just beaten him to a championship and walked away so he can't try and beat him again. To you, was it a big break to be put alongside Lewis? Or was it one of those where you went into a team that was going to be so, so hard to try and beat him in? It was, yeah, it was for sure a challenge, but I was definitely ready for it. Like, um, And yeah, only thing I was thinking thinking when I joined the team is that now this year I want to win the, win the championship. Like that was my attitude. And uh, I think I was quite hard on myself because it didn't happen. And I was like, oh, well, okay, I'll try next year even harder. Didn't happen. So uh, it was really not easy to accept the situation that, okay, it's not that easy to, to, to beat Lewis when he's at his uh, peak performance. Um, so yeah, it was... Um, now, when I look back at it, um, great school for me in in a way that I l- learned a lot about my myself. Sometimes to give me a bit more leash in a, in a way, and not to be too hard on myself on, on some things. But also, yeah, just learned so much about everything that um, I'm I'm really really glad it happened. Yeah, that's mentally how tough was it? Because I, not only how good Lewis was but yeah that team he'd been part of it a lot longer and it did feel like Mercedes was was pretty well built around him by the time you joined yes Lewis had to be in part there for a long time and you know as a as a as a driver and as a person in the team he's um he's the dominant person so it's quite difficult to step up and I never could really step up in a way that I wanted alongside Lewis um because the team was so welded in and you know and he's he's Lewis, so it's like uh, everyone looks up to him almost. So it's that's how it goes. But yeah, now things are a bit different. But um, yeah, lots of good experiences from from that era. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Did you ever come close to leaving before this year? 2000, at the end of 2018, I almost stopped. Really? It was, it was so close. Like, because, just because of the fact that I couldn't understand and, um, you know, take in that the, cha- the, uh, the fact that I couldn't be 
beat Lewis in, in those two years. It was so, I put so much pressure on myself mm. that it just, yeah, towards the end of 18, especially when I started to have the support role in, in the team, I really, I really couldn't take it. I really struggled. <laughs> so it was not fun. Like the, let's say the last four or five races of 18 was, you know, more painful than because you should enjoy F1 and it's pretty cool, but it wasn't that at all. So um, had a had a good break then between the two seasons and really had to think things through and yeah, decided to go on a break in South America somewhere mm-hmm. and just try to not to think about F1 at all and just try to, you know, find the the will and the, the joy uh, for the sport and the motivation. And I found it. It was like a click at one point. It, but it was after New Year's. Um, probably mid-January or something. I decided, okay, let's do this. I, I, <laughs> I can still do it. So managed to get myself together. And then I found the joy of the, of the driving again. And immediately the, the results were much better than um, in 18. And actually, I think that following year, 19, I think is probably my best season so far especially against Lewis, you know, won quite a few races and especially until the let's say the half halfway through the se- season I was sometimes even leading the championship so it was pretty pretty strong year but then yeah just Lewis's consistency um performances overall for the whole season I couldn't match yeah. but so you had a contract by the time you were hitting those troubles at the end of 18 yeah. already for 19 yeah, so yeah. did the team ever know that you were no no I I had radio silence for wow. the for the whole winter. So, <laughs> yeah. So there was a chance you would have just suddenly called them up in January and gone, "I'm not coming back." Yes. Yeah. Wow. And would you? Have, sorry, I was going to say, would you have retired from F1 there and then? Is that what you were thinking? Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. That was the. Yeah, because I, I just I don't know. It's human mind is is strange in a, in a way that sometimes you go into dark places and you you lose the joy on on things, and I just completely lost the joy of F1 and. and racing in f1 so i was almost like angry to f1 <laughs> you know mm-hmm. so it's it's weird but just needed some time off you know think things in a in a big picture and then i realized that okay it's actually really cool sport and i still have a great opportunities ahead of me so i would be silly not to take them it, can you remember that trigger can you remember what it was that made you go okay now i'm coming back because if uh, we're looking for a big break that was that's probably it you wouldn't be, well, we might be sat here right now, but talking about how you'd walked away four years ago. <laughs> yeah, I <laughs> know. Yeah, yes, I remember. It was in, I was walking in a in a Finnish forest, like middle of nowhere, because I sometimes just li- like to disappear, like, you know, go for like kind of a hike or something for one or two hours in the snow. And then, yeah, I was just there standing still looking around and could feel this adrenaline and I was like, Fuck yeah, let's do this. <laughs> <laughs> and then I won the first race. So. Which is when you said, yeah. um, to who it may concern. Exactly. Was it who, who, well, I was going to say, who was that aimed at? Was it aimed at someone? No, not someone particularly, no. It was just more like, because I got a lot of criticism throughout the last part of 18, um, that should I be a Mercedes driver and, you know, you see the right guy for the, for the team and also that started to annoy me. And so it was basically for people who are trying to push me down I don't know I kind of use that as a motivation then for for that race was it dare I say it though from everything you just said was it also a bit of yourself the part of you that went into that dark place and nearly walked away to say 
no, 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 I'm still here. I yeah, can keep doing this. Kind of, yeah. And yeah, those kind of moments, it's, yeah. I just want to tell people to always look at the big picture in life. And if you feel a bit anxious about things, take a step back. Um, you know, it's um, there's always so much more to get if you don't give up. In In that sense then, how much of a positive was it for you when you knew that time was coming to an end at Mercedes and you had this opportunity at Alfa Romeo to come mm. to. How much did you look at that as a as an opportunity rather than a step down? Definitely for me, it, it was like all about, again, taking a kind of a step back, resetting the goals and expectations. And and I created like different kind of goals, which is trying to, you know, help the team with all the knowledge I have and try to push, try to motiv- motivate the team and try to make progress. And yeah, so had like result wise no big expectations for 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 the first year but actually we realized pretty quickly that once we got the reliability okay with the car that we actually have pretty good base performance and some tracks were really almost up there fighting with the with the big teams and and that's been so so amazing in a way that it's not maybe something I quite expected for the first year um but I knew the, knew the potential was there so it's been really nice and also the like the uh, role I have in the team is is quite different than I've ever had. Like such a nice nice vibe and feeling, and also having quite a big authority on things and being able to, you know, change things quickly and everything is is really enjoyable. Yeah, I was going to say, given when you really struggled in the support role at Mercedes, how much have you reveled having the lead role here? It's yeah, it's so so different for me. Like, and definitely the right timing in my career. Now it's my tenth season racing in F one, which is crazy that it goes so quickly. Yeah, that is mad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, uh, absolutely. It's I feel like it's exactly what I needed at this point of my career. Like a completely fresh page, and and I feel I'm driving well. Like you know, I can just really drive the way I want and try to be the best version of myself. And you know, just and also. Seeing the team so motivated for these kind of results, which is something new. If you look back the last two years, it's um, it's also inspiring for me and wants me to try harder. And um, also, like yesterday, it was public holiday here, but I was full day in the simulator with some of the engineers. And some people would think we're crazy, but you know that's what you got to do when you want to perform. Yeah, and uh, I guess you've also been reunited with someone else who's been big in your career by coming here with Fred Vasseur. You mentioned racing for him in GP three. How Bigger role has he played? Just even if it's in the latter part of your career, like what sort of a person has he been for you? He was a really, really key person for me because I think, especially that GP3 season with with Fred, for me, having that kind of almost the need to win, win the title if I wanted to pr- proceed, um, it was so important that he kind of stayed calm and he didn't give up on the season, and he also kept digging and trying to find out reasons why we are not performing in the beginning of the year and and he's just really supportive guy uh, such a nice guy to be around and yeah so I, I knew that if I'm going to join his team eventually good things will will happen because you know every project he's got into normally has been successful and but this is still only in a way starting so um there's still a long way to go yeah i was, was going to say i mean just the fact that you had that history with him and the fact that this has started so well for you kind of motivate you for, for the future that this could be something that grows. I mean, again, we call this my big break because we're looking for big breaks and there's not normally one, mm. but could 
actually leaving Mercedes and joining joining Alfa Romeo be a big break for for what it could become? Absolutely. You know, I, th- I think it's um, we're not at the peak. I can see that, and the people know it. That we have still so many things that we can do better, and also it's so nice with at least we know for a team like this. Um, that with F1 now, with the budget cap and everything, it just makes things so much more equal. So you know as a fact that there is opportunities. Like in the past, if somebody would have 200 million more budget than you, yeah, it would be a bit, <laughs> bit of a bit of a mountain to climb. But now it's 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 true. It's realistic that we can do better than this. We can, in the future, we can score podiums. In the future, we can even fight for race wins. I, I truly believe that. But that needs a lot of work, and that's why I'm here. Yeah, I mean, and you can see the energy you've got for it, and obviously it's been going well so far. I just want to finish by reflecting on maybe what you've then learned through the darker spells of your career that you've just been so open about in, in terms of being able to then handle those or understanding yourself and the way you react to things. Do you feel like you have kind of maybe your big break was nearly leaving F1 and going through so much difficult times? Probably, yeah. Yeah, it would be crazy to think where I would be now if I would have stopped F1 <laughs> at that point, yeah. and I w- would have missed so much. Um, so I think, yeah, overcoming kind of, yeah, let's say personal issues or outside factors um, and own ex- expectations was was definitely my, my big break. And now, honestly, like the place I'm now, I can, I don't see a limit like how long I could continue. Like now I'm absolutely loving F1 and the driving and, and the work. So, you know, who knows how long I'll stick around. Yeah, hopefully a, a long, long time. <laughs> I mean, does it also feel like you can handle anything because you've handled something like that? I think so. I think it feels like nothing can really shake me anymore. Yeah, for sure. It's still like sometimes it's things are more, more tricky and, and tough and that's how life goes. Um, it's up and down. But yeah, definitely can handle the, the downs a lot better nowadays thanks to all the experiences I've had with this sport. Yeah, well, fingers crossed you don't need any more hikes in the forest to uh, to refine the love for the sport. But Valtteri, really appreciate you telling us your story. Thank you. My pleasure.